Welcome to Onco Farm. I am your host, John Bazaar. I am a professor of pharmacy practice here and our supporting sponsor, the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy here in Johnson City, Tennessee, on the first day of the Major League Baseball season. Uh, got several, um, kind of basically just updates of FDA action uh, dating back the last month that we haven't covered. Had a, a wonderful time at last week's HOPA annual conference. Um, met some wonderful listeners. Thank you so much. Uh, it was delightful to talk to you all. Um, so let's get right into it. Uh, going back to, uh, to March 11th, uh, Olaparib was ap- approved for adjuvant treatment in, for one year for those with uh, germline deleterious BRCA mutations, uh, breast cancer. And this showed an in- increased invasive disease-free survival compared to placebo, along with a promising overall survival efficacy signal. Uh, this was the Olympia trial, which we talked about on a prior pod. Looks to be pretty solid here, uh, and now FDA approval, as expected, comes through. Won't talk more about that. I am going to talk quite a bit about the new approval for Optulag, which is a combination product of nivolumab and relatimab. All right, and this is Optulag, like Optivo, dual therapy with a LAG-3 inhibitor, Optulag. It's not the best name, but it's far from the worst name, Optulag. So Optulag was approved uh, for those with, um, I can't read my writing here. Uh, Oh, those who are 12 years and older with metastatic or unresectable melanoma. It's like it was approved for 12 years? No, so peds and adults, but those those peds had to be 12 years and older for metastatic or unresectable melanoma. Nivolumab you're very familiar with. So let's talk about relatimab, which is a LAG3 targeting monoclonal antibody. LAG3 is an immune checkpoint. So talk about immune checkpoint inhibitors, this is one of those immune checkpoints. The first immune checkpoint inhibitor was ipilimumab, uh, which uh, inhibits uh, CTLA4, cutaneous T-cell uh, ligand uh, uh, activating? I don't know, CTLA4. I forget what the A is. That's embarrassing. Um, then we had PD-1, and we have tons and tons. We have roughly 57 PD-1 and PD-L1 inhibiting monoclonal antibodies. So this is the first LAG-3 inhibitor. Uh, and we know that in uh, the immune system, in a setting of uh, rampant immune system activation, like chronic infection or malignancy, uh, that T cells become uh, exhausted. And part of that process uh, is, is led by LAG-3. Uh, and this T cell exhaustion, you know, allows the cancer cells to to uh, to to do what they do. Um, and um, we, you know, there, there's a reason we have these immune checkpoints. It's helped to prevent autoimmune diseases and things like that. So lag three stimulation decreases uh, T cell activity. Does a couple things. It decreases cytokine production by T cells and granzyme production. Granzymes are part of the way T cells exert the CD8 positive T cells, how they exert their effector function. It's how they kill the tumor cells. So if they, if there's more lag three, the T cells are not able to kill as much. Uh, it de- decreases T cell proliferation and also leads to the different- differentiation of T cells to T regs, which are then um, you know, not gonna be effector cells. This is the big thing in, in like transplant. Uh, pharmacology is can we get more Tregs because that can help decrease organ rejection if you're in the solid organ transplant world or graft versus host disease if you're in the cancer uh, transplant world. Okay, so relatimab is a LAG3 inhibitor. This is a combination product, so like one vial's got both drugs, um, and it's an IV infusion over 30 minutes every four weeks. I won't talk any more about kind of the drug-specific stuff. 
This approval is based on Relativity 047, which was published in ASCO in June of last year. I think this was an ASCO um, plenary paper, perhaps. Uh, really big deal, uh, at least in, in the Twitter uh, RX world or, or med Twitter world. Uh, and to be honest with you, I just kind of ignored it because uh, there's hype for everything. And um, if there's hype for a drug that's currently approved, I'll pay attention to it to see if it makes a difference for patients, you know, tomorrow. But I know this, I knew this was not FDA approved. So now it is FDA approved, so I have to go back and look at this. Um, so this was, you know, randomized controlled trial of newly diagnosed uh, metastatic patients or unresectable uh, melanoma, uh, randomized to either nivolumab or uh, nivolumab plus relatimab, and that's appropriate. You know, if you look at the guidelines, you know, single agent nevo pembro appropriate. You could do nevo ipi combination. It's more toxic, but also appropriate. We know nevo ipi combination is actually better than BRAF therapy for those that are BRAF mutated. Um, so this is looking at a different checkpoint combined with nivolumab versus single-agent nivolumab. Uh, pretty decent improvement in progression-free survival. Hazard ratio is 0.75. The median progression-free survival is misleading. It makes it look like the combination's significantly better than it actually is. It does. There's clearly a progression-free survival benefit with relatimab plus nevo versus single-agent nevo. But the curves do not separate for three months, and there is a steep, steep drop in and a lot of progression, likely progression events in the first three months. So these curves overlap for three weeks, and then right around the 50th percentile is where you see the relatimab nevo curve start to flatten out, and then a little bit later the nevo curve by itself flattens out. I haven't seen an overall survival curve. Oh, so the, this hazard ratio for PFS is 0.75 with the confidence interval 0.62 to 0.92. So, you know, a 25%, you know, in, you know, decrease in the risk for progression or death over time. Solid, solid PFS benefit. Uh, I haven't seen the overall survival hazard ratio. That's immature, but it's looking good early on with a hazard ratio of 0.8 uh, with a confidence interval 0.64 to 1.01. So very well may see some overall survival benefit from relatimab. Uh, and that certainly would be exciting. Um, however, you know, single-agent nivolumab, pembrolizumab, these drugs have really led to drastic improvements in long-term survival for metastatic melanoma, where upwards of 40 to 50% of these folks are alive five years later um, with metastatic melanoma. So progression is not, the, not all that important to look at for these folks necessarily. It's overall survival. Uh, so it'll be curious to see if, if our guidelines jump on this and, and move it above single-agent nevo or pembro, which would be interesting. Uh, or if they wait for that overall survival data. So that is interesting and, and, and maybe exciting, especially if that overall survival benefit that's there uh, bears out, which, uh, coin flip if that'll happen. What is really interesting uh, to me is, uh, you know, if you look at a Nevo Ipi paper versus a Nevo paper, there's su substantially more toxicity with combination therapy versus monotherapy. So here we have combination checkpoint inhibitor but the LAG3 as the c combined agent appears to have very tolerable safety profile. I'm gonna read some, some of the, the percentages of these side effects here. So um, the two most common are musculoskeletal pain and fatigue. Uh, and I'll give the combination then Nevo. So 45% versus 31%. Grade three, 4% versus 2%. Okay, not bad. Fatigue, 39 versus 29%. Again, all these toxicities are, are numerically slightly higher with the combination. Grade three or worse fatigue, 2% versus 0.6%. Uh, 
when I think of immune inhibitor, uh, checkpoint inhibitor toxicity, I think of the mnemonic legs, like the ZZ Top song, liver, endocrine, GI, and skin. From an AST, ALT standpoint, you're talking AST, ALT elevations in 26 to 30% with combination versus 22 to 25%, you know, okay. And then grade three LFT elevations, two to 3% versus one to 2%. Um, hypothyroidism, 17 versus 14%, similar. Uh, uh, let's see, diarrhea, 24 versus 17%. Grade three, 2% versus 1.4%. Rash for the skin, 28 versus 21%. 1.4 versus 1.9, actually. More grade three rash with Nevo, um, which may just be noise. But what you see here in, in some is numerically more toxicity, but not necessarily a, like a drastically more toxic uh, effect uh, of adding relatimab, it appears, compared to signal agent nivolumab. So even if there is modest overall survival or you know modest efficacy benefit the toxicity profile it seems very tolerable when you look at that um you know you know with the biggest you know difference there being you know maybe about 50 percent more musculoskeletal pain how severe that is how limiting that is and the duration of that is is unknown at this point so um that's you know that's the lag three inhibitor um so uh that appears to have uh, you know Certainly some, some benefit, whether or not correlates to overall survival, like I said, remains to be seen. Okay, so that's probably the biggest update for the pod. Uh, next uh, on 321, pembrolizumab, again, got an approval for advanced endometrial cancer and MSI high mismatch repair deficient folks after at least one line of systemic therapy. We were already doing this. Um, not anything new, it just had the approval, all right? Now, 323, another new drug. This is uh, Lutetium PSMA-177, uh, brand name Pluvigo, Pluvicto. Pluvicto, like we're evicting Pluto from the planetary system, Pluvicto. Uh, Lutetium-177 is a beta emitter that binds to PSMA, which is a prostate-specific membrane antigen, which is expressed on most metastatic prostate cancer cells. Now, this approval is in these folks with metastatic prostate cancer after at least one antigen receptor pathway inhibitor, so say enzalutamide or abiraterone, and one taxane. Uh, so despite PSMA being expressed on most metastatic prostate cancer cells, actually 16% of the patients who enrolled in this study uh, did not meet their own criteria for PSMA positivity, which as I understand it, and this is kind of beyond my expertise here, is that if the uh, on the the special imaging to, to to look for PSMA, which is a radionucleotide imaging, I believe. If the PSMA metastatic lesion, uh, or if the metastatic lesion lit up more for PSMA than the liver, which must it must light up uh, at baseline, then that was considered PSMA positive. So 16% based on their criteria did not meet uh, the candidacy for that. So that's still most prostate cancer patients, but not all of them, like maybe the introduction section to the vision study published last year, New England Journal Medicine might, uh, might suggest. Um, here's, the, here's the problem with this study, all right? It's 800 patients. They're randomized two to one to lutetium-177 or to, quote, standard of care. However, the standard of care cannot include radium-223, an alpha emitter um, that is a bone mimetic that actually has some overall survival data. So why would you admit that? Uh, or chemo, you couldn't give them chemo. Half these folks had had one taxane, 55% had one taxane. Well, that's kind of standard treatment if you had docetaxel 
to give cabazitaxel later. So how are you limiting like standard options here? Uh, or they couldn't give immunotherapy, which I guess I'm okay with that because that's maybe experimental in prostate cancer. But you're clearly like giving, making the standard of care substandard care by limiting the number of options. It's ridiculous. Who, who enrolled people on these studies? Who are these physicians doing? It's not good for your patients. So that, I'm not even going to go over any efficacy benefit, which you do see some PFS and some statistically significant overall survival benefit, but it's versus a substandard, quote, standard of care. Um, however, all right, be that as it may, people will use this. So here's a little background uh, here from radio pharmaceuticals. All right, so we have radium-223, which is an alpha emitter. If you look in the, the periodic table of elements, radium's in the same column as calcium. So it's going to go to bone. Prostate spritz the bone, a lot of bone turnover, so it'll it'll localize there, and it's an alpha emitter. So an alpha emitter from a radiation standpoint, think of it like a bowling ball. You can't throw the bowling ball very far, but if you're right next to, say, a wall, you're going to cause some damage to that wall, some pretty big damage, all right? Think of a beta emitter as like a baseball. It's opening day, right? So if you throw a baseball, you can throw it farther than a bowling ball, certainly, but, you know, if... If a if a baseball falls on your head from a from a you know from like five feet, it's not going to kill you. But a bowling ball dropped on your head, significant damage. So the alpha emitter is going to cause a lot more damage, but it won't go as far. So it won't go as much into the bone marrow. And there's a history of um, some bone mimetic beta emitters. There's a radium two, uh, not a radium. There's the strontium. I think it's strontium eighty nine. Strontium is like. Um, uh, strontium is like uh, calcium as well in the same column, I believe, but it's a beta emitter. And the beta emitter, that radiation travels farther, so you saw some pretty significant myelosuppression. And then there was samarium, which I think is like a phosphate matrix mimetic. Same idea, goes to the bone, releases beta emission. Pretty significant myelosuppression. Um, so myelosuppression, there is a, a specific warning about myelosuppression with this drug. Uh, it is a beta emitter. Now, it's not a bone mimetic, so it's not going to go to, like, bones necessarily, but it will go to the prostate cancer that expresses PMSA. And I'm really curious if they do any extra analysis on, you know, does the myelosuppression correlate with number of bone lesions, where those bone lesions are, are they in areas that have a lot of marrow involvement, for example. But that is, there, there's a warning for that, there's a, a warning for acute kidney injury. You know, it's a regular pharmaceutical, so you got to limit close contact. So you can't be within three feet of household folks for two days afterwards. If uh, that Now, if it's a child that you live with or a pregnant woman, it's seven days. You can't sleep in the same bed as anybody for three days, 15 days if your partner is pregnant. Maybe the pregnancy not a huge deal since these are probably going to be older men, but still certainly has some impacts. Um, so... Uh, you know, there's, you know, there certainly are some issues with it, and the the uh, the publication list. I can't believe they they did this. This is medical writing at its worst. They say something to the effect of grade three or worse fatal events, which is a grade five event. It's a grade five toxicity, three point nine percent versus two point nine percent. Now the PI doesn't list that grade five somehow, so they may be splitting hairs between. Uh, you know, adverse events and treatment emergent adver adverse events. But anyway, if 4% of people die on therapy, that's getting close to like one in one in 25. So anyway, that can be that can be a little bit problematic here. All right, uh, and if you're curious, the dose is 7.4 gigabecuries, I think it's gigabecuries, or 200 millicuries every six weeks for six cycles. Um, anyway, Pluvicto. 
Um, problematic design here for the vision study, to say the least. All right, last one, uh, AxiCell. Uh, CAR-T, CD19 CAR-T, approved in a second-line setting for large-cell B-cell lymphoma that is relapsed within 12 months or refractory to initial treatment. This is based on Zuma 7. Uh, we did a pot on this. Everyone was excited about this. Again, the key thing here is can you get it? Can you get your AxiCell for these folks? And can you get it in time uh, before they progress on your bridging chemotherapy? And then lastly, uh, Alpelacib uh, had an approval for adults and peds two years and older uh, with PIC3 uh, CA-related overgrowth syndrome, PROS. I actually thought this was like a made-up thing that like the drug company created for the drug. No, this is actually an NIH term. Uh, it's a real thing. It's caused by either somatic or germline mutations. Somatic appears to be more common from my research. Um, it's based on a study of 57 patients. Not a whole, you know, a rare disease. Um, two points maybe to know for this. This is a new brand of Alpelacib. It's called Vejoice, not Picray. And if you work in PEDS, um, now you have uh, you know a PI that has maybe some PEDS-specific dosing information for Alpelacib. If you were to use it, you know, say off-label for some you know PIC3 uh, CA alpha mutated disease or something like that uh, in the PEDS population. So it's you know the, the PEDS folks are up against the wall here. They don't always have uh, targeted uh, drug data for for their patients uh, in PEDS. So um, this may be something that they can use, uh, and that's maybe the most important thing. Uh, new, you know, from a, a broad treatment approach, or to be aware of for this. The Joyce, not the worst name either for a drug. All right, that is what I have for today. Thank you all for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at FarmDeetNip, and you can follow the podcast on both Twitter and Instagram at OncoFarmPod. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Thank you.